Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts Jeremy Take, Paul Schaeflein, and Aichabash. Each week you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hello everyone, it is so nice to be back in the podcast. I have Jeremy with me. Hi Jeremy, how are you doing? Hi Aicha, how are you? I'm great, thanks. It's getting hotter in Dubai, so can't complain. <laughs> how, how about you? It's, uh, yep, it's still raining in Seattle. I mean, you know, keep that tradition going. We have really special guest today. Johan is with us. Hi Johan, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm great. It's, it's uh, the, towards the end of the day for me, but still good. And whereabouts are you, Johan? I am in Stockholm. Uh, Stockholm, Sweden is where we have uh, our office, although I'm at home today, but uh, yeah, still in Stockholm though. Cool. So, uh, Johan, why don't we start getting to know you a little bit and then we can jump into your company and products? From the beginning, my, my background is in engineering. I started out as a, as a software engineer. And since the past 12 years, I've been working for this company specializing in Microsoft technology called uh, Presio Fishbone. We started diving into the area of product development back in 2013 when we did the first you know, initial version. And um, that lived for not that long, maybe three years. Then we ended up um, merging then. That's where the name comes from. So we used to be Presio and Fishbone. And in 2015, Presio and Fishbone became one company. We at the time had a development center in Vietnam. So we had the ability to provide extra resources to do this product development, although we are a not huge company. And uh, then Fishbone had a well, should we say, better organizational structure for building products. So we ended up joining efforts and created uh, what we uh, call Omnia, Omnia then, and technically Omnia G1. And now we're on Omnia G2. So I am basically doing the third generation of uh, Microsoft uh, 365 of SharePoint as it was back in 2013 product. So it's great to have see that you've been in that ecosystem for for so long, it's always fascinating to hear like the different stories of what you've learned across the way. And you already mentioned like the G1 and G2 being on the third kind of revision of the, the major product line. We always ask everyone to start off in the show of um, describing what the product is. So what is Omnia and how does it benefit the Microsoft 365 users that use it? I, I thought a lot about this question, and there's many things to, to many ways to break it down. Um, I mean, Omnia is a, an extensive product. It does a lot of things. Uh, it has capabilities to do web content management, enhanced document management, uh, team teams, Microsoft Teams governance, other teamwork governance. But I think it has mainly two main purposes, perhaps to simplify. It, it's definitely a product that has provided the web content management tools that um, users of out of the box modern pages today would expect but don't have that is one huge part of it like why we did it and what it does the other part is to provide a um, a hub or whatever a place to coordinate all these different services that you have in microsoft 365 that commonly come across as uh, you know spread out and maybe a bit confusing to give a one entry point to these functionalities for your business. But you can break this down in many other ways too, of course. Absolutely. 
like as a platform, you've been around for a long, a long time, and obviously our product has been evolving as we go. Like you know, there was classic pages, and now they're modern. How, how have you found that journey in change, like continuing improving your product as well for those users? Like what types of ways do you monitor that? The change that we're doing to then evolve how yours is better experienced than what we provide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, in a, in a sense, uh, Microsoft would be our biggest competitor right, in right. one sense, even though it's, it's, a, it's still a partnership, right? Because we rely on Azure to host our things. So we would never really be able to steal customers from from Microsoft because whatever customers comes to us that will drive will drive Azure usage, uh, which then benefit Microsoft back then. Uh, but yeah, we we monitor it uh, carefully. I mean, there's a lot of things that come out. It feels to me a bit like Microsoft is trying out many things. They they launch many things and they see how it goes. So it's a um, and there's a lot of talks about it. And then something comes out, and then we'll see. Like when a new thing comes, we would always look at it and see. All right. Do we, is this, is this a, is this something we need to care about? Like I don't know, Viva Insight was a great example of something we don't have at all. Like, so just go ahead and use Viva Insight. Would you want this functionality? And then we see if something else comes out, like let's say Viva Connections, like the Teams app start page. And then we just take a decision. Do we integrate with it or do we compete with it? And there we went with the approach that we compete with it then. For that approach, we, we think we can do it better, so we decided to do that. And this we do for for every thing that comes out. We either integrate with it, we ignore it, or we compete with it. Um, Microsoft Search, Microsoft Search is a great example where we decided to integrate with it instead. So we are leveraging Microsoft Search in our product, but we don't use the Microsoft Search UI. We build our own UI for the search experience, but the search engine is then Microsoft Search in the backend. So then we took the third approach of integrating with it instead. So that, I think that's our general approach to new things that come from Microsoft. Interesting approach. Yes, no, I appreciate that. That's a really good answer. I, I, I like the, I mean, again, you've been around the ecosystem for a long time. So having that approach to it and not reacting to everything, I think is something I've definitely seen as a common learning across various partners that we work with. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. If you run on everything that comes out, you need to be like, you need to keep your cool a bit. Yeah. Like, will this become something? Will Microsoft keep investing in it or not? You don't really know, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I agree. I have definitely learned to, all right, let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's, let's monitor first before we take any like quick decisions on what to do. You mentioned a couple of exciting technologies uh, when you were describing your uh, strategy. You, you mentioned Azure as well as Search and also SharePoint. If we extend the architecture of your uh, products, um, what kind of Microsoft 365 data platform technologies are you using as well as Microsoft, other Microsoft technologies? That would be really nice to understand your overall architecture setup. Absolutely. The, the original requirements on our architecture came from, uh, it came from performance. I mean, everyone would know if we go back a bit to 2015, I guess the performance of classic pages weren't great. I mean, they, that was a big problem to our customers. It's just too slow. So we decided uh, when we did the second generation of Omnia that to be able to deliver the performance we need, we need to own the entire page load. Uh, we want to own the index.html that gets served. So Omnia today is actually mainly not accessed through SharePoint. You don't go to the SharePoint.com domain. You go to an Omnia domain or your, even your own domain, which is the service we offer. Like you can have your vanity domain if you want. 
And those requests will actually go to an Azure Kubernetes services um, cluster in Azure. And with a containerized sort of microservice technology where each of our customers, they have their own containers, which will serve the requests. So the container will then use uh, Microsoft Graph or CSOM to communicate back to their M365 environment to aggregate data when needed. Uh, or when data is not present in Microsoft 365, we also leverage both um, uh, you know, Redis cache and the Azure SQL databases and storage account to serve our own data directly from Azure. It's a quite thick layer on top, like a thick front end layer on top the M365 environment. Um, of course, still some things we don't do. We haven't built our own document management, for example. That would be an enormous undertaking, and SharePoint is pretty good at it, and even Teams is pretty good at it. So there we instead use, uh, you know, the SPFX development platform, uh, development framework to inject, uh, you know, our scripts, inject our application customizer, our header, and to enable all of our customized components that you can use in the Omnia front, and you can also use them in the Microsoft 365 modern pages. Uh, interesting. So you're doing a little bit of both. So you've got, you're serving up pages HTML, but then you're also um, enhancing the SharePoint pages for the kind of the OneDrive document library type scenarios. Yeah, exactly. To give the the end user the feel that they're not in two systems. Yeah, yes, they will switch domain, but they will still see the same top navigation, so they can still navigate back. And also to give the ch this choice to the customers, not really like a, if you want to go more heavily on the M365 pages, you go ahead and do that. If you don't, you don't. Um, was there a decision tree at some point on kind of going down the Kubernetes containerization track versus like Azure App Platform, like the platform as a service? There's always something that's kind of interesting to, uh, you mentioned your kind of stamping per customer, which again, seems to be a common thing, I'm sure, across these partners we talk to. Yeah. But is was there a decision tree there of one way or the other? Uh, yeah, but absolutely. There's several things here, I think. First of all, separation, I should just mention, like we host all our customers in our Azure subscription. Like they don't have it in their own Azure. It's like we have a huge cluster with many customers. So I mean, separation of data between customers is of our highest concern. It's an enormous incident, of course, if data from one customer ends up in another customer's front end. That is the worst thing that can happen, nearly the worst thing that can happen. Obviously, yeah. So we adopted something that we call separation by infrastructure, which meaning no um, artifacts in Azure are effectively shared. Like the application code of Omnia does not know it's a multi-tenant solution because it has its own container calling its own database and its own storage account or its own Key Vault instance. Um, so they are all very, very cleanly separated in that way. Uh, and we solve this by provisioning, automatic provisioning instead of different things. Then your other question was, why did we go for, for Kubernetes? I think there's two arguments, one, one good and one not so good. Like uh, the not so good one is that it was really hot and cool that it had just come to Azure when we started building this. <laughs> yeah, got to play with the new toys. I mean, it was the, it was the, well, it was the next big thing, it felt like. Um, but the second reason is uh, cost, like to work on our own hosting costs. Because in Kubernetes, we could uh, easily run, uh, at that time at least, um, it was a good way to run Linux hosts instead of Windows servers, which is cheaper because you don't have to pay for the Windows licenses of our application service. But then also control of costs. I mean, my experience with Azure has been that these, um, what do we call them, serverless approaches where, where you pay for usage and you pay for units that are somewhat hard to understand, it's much harder to keep costs under control. It's easier for me to keep, yeah, we have, we have 48 servers. Like, I know what they cost, I know what they can do. 
but the pricing options of serverless things in Azure are, well, they def definitely much more difficult to control. So you're managing your um, data in the containers by yourself without consuming any serverless service. Instead, you actually somehow create your own serverless. <laughs> yes, you could say, exactly. It's an abstraction layer on top of it. We don't rely on Microsoft to do that part for us. But, but of course, our customers will share the same server and workloads will be optimized to load the existing servers as much as possible without causing any service interruptions. That is an ongoing challenge, of course, in this kind of SaaS delivery. I want to go back to the performance question and not to really kick SharePoint too hard back in the day. Um, and I do think modern pages have certainly improved there, but I'm intrigued. You're still dependent on the CSOM on the graph calls. And, you know, I'll openly admit that, you know, some of those API calls aren't the fastest in terms of response times. So you mentioned Redis cache and so forth. Like, what are some of the techniques you do? Because effectively you're like rebuilding the UI layer yourself and you're relying on whatever we publish publicly as APIs. And I'm assuming in some cases that can be a challenge as well. Yeah, we, this is actually quite simple and quite extensive. I mean, we read most of our data that you see on the screen from our uh, SQL Server database. When you load the, the page live, it's, this does not call uh, Microsoft Graph synchronously. Uh, it uses the graph and see some for uh, asynchronously loaded things on the page that we don't want to store, like, I don't know, my latest documents or uh, search results, for example. They are live. But everything else, the page content itself, like this article page you're loading up, it is uh, does not bounce in that call to any of the graph or see some APIs. I guess from a, you mentioned search as well. Are you purely using our search index for content that's within M365 or are there scenarios now where you're pushing content into the index to you, you know, use it as a search platform like with graph connectors or so forth? Yeah, we did consider because um, like we can still use the data that's already in the search index, right, for um, uh, page data. Since every page you publish in Omnia, it becomes a site page in SharePoint. And that will be automatically indexed, and then we can query it through the search APIs. Uh, we considered for a bit to do our own, you know, Omnia page connector and use Microsoft Search instead. But it actually, we didn't do that because we had this kind of, not expensive, I think, but there's an invoicing model we have to pay per index entry data, right? And it's not doesn't cost much, but it becomes very difficult for me to explain to a customer what it's going to cost. Like you have to, you can't lie. Is the predictability of how many content? Exactly. Right. Some connectors we do have, but they are then customer specific, uh, so they leverage their own connectors. Like a customer want to have, I don't know, ServiceNow data or something we don't normally provide in Omnia, but then we usually point to Microsoft Search. Because we can call, you know, external item, as it's called in the Microsoft Search API to retrieve the data. And we let the customer, with our help or someone else's help, create a connector or use an out-of-the-box connector to get that into Microsoft Search. That is a very common approach that uh, several customers have. How have you set up people discovering Omnia and how do people kind of go about getting, getting that product and trying it out? Like what's the, if you're talking about stamps of you know, in Azure for each customer, do you have any, like an easy kind of click to trial or are you more of a kind of engage with the customer as they go through the experience? We do not yet have an automatic way like self-service to initiate an environment. It's something we have talked about uh, and we are on the office store, but there's one of those uh, click here to contact us. So you can't find Omnia, but you can't really buy it. You can just submit 
please contact me back. Once we get the contact though with the customer, it's very common that we do set up a sandbox environment since it's just a few commands away to, to make it run and give it to them uh, to try out. But it a little bit depends on the case, the size of the case, if it's worth it, if we think the case is a good one or not, so absolutely. And so I guess in that sense, you rely a lot more on your sales team discovering your customers than you do like the discovering them organically for your store than it sounds like. Yeah, I would say. I mean, the, the best uh, way are historically that our customers have found us is actually the Clearbox report. This uh, internet in a box uh, report of 25, 30 products and we ended up scoring top for six years in a row now. Oh, very cool. For big clients, we end up being shortlisted almost always without really contacting them if they have already decided to go with a Microsoft 365 uh, based new internet or something we end up on that list so that's been really powerful yeah that's really awesome yeah no congrats on that that's not an easy feat to be on that list yeah thank you awesome and since you're relying on a lot of microsoft technologies not only microsoft 365 but also you're consuming different services from microsoft 365 developer platform too what kind of things would you like to see microsoft doing so that you're, you will make sure that your customers are more productive and your platform is improving day by day? That's a difficult question, I think. What do I want Microsoft to do to make the customers more, more happy? I don't know. I think what we talked about initially, that Microsoft ends up uh, trying out different products very hard and then sometimes abandoning them a bit. It stirs up a lot of uh, questions and a lot of uh, advice being asked, like what do we need, what will work? Um, I also think something to think about for Microsoft that is very appreciated by our customers is the branding capabilities um, as such. I think that's something we end up that could be on the development side that would help. Like you cannot do, if you go very heavily on Teams based, for example, there's no way to affect Teams itself. It looks what it looks like. It's search box is what it is and it's not coherent with, with the rest of the solution. Yeah, I don't know really. I think it's a difficult question. It's, it's very broad. How about Microsoft 365? I'm going to double click on the Teams one. So you're kind of right. Like there is very little UI chroming you can do. Like you can't change the color of the Teams bar. And I wait, you know, Teams being just over five years old now, SharePoint being, my God, nearly 20 years old. If you think about SharePoint 2003, I was just remembering the other day, I broke a SharePoint list the other day. And uh, I had to go in list settings and do something I haven't done in probably 15 years and it kicked it to working again. And then I was like, wow, I've been working on this product for that long. But with Teams, it'd be interesting once the new version is shipped, the V2 that they talk about where it's a, like performance is a lot higher because they've rebuilded the whole stack, whether they'll start to do some of the things that SharePoint did after you know eight years, uh, like some things you're mentioning there. Like it's an interesting kind of like product curve that they're on um, where you can kind of go back and look at what SharePoint did and see similar kind of jumps in the way that you could extend it. I mean, I have some super specific things if we talk about Teams. That would be the ability to get, uh, you know, notifications, this little notification number on, not in the chat, not in a chatbot or in the activity feed, but on your actual custom app. That's, I think that's one of the most requested things. This is a very narrow detail, but still, that's very commonly requested. So you'd like to show the notifications in kind of the Omnia experience? Yeah, exactly. But of course, in Teams, I mean, because we, we do ship a Teams app. It's very common to have a Teams app with Omnia. 
Uh, we can get back to that in a bit, but there's no way for us today that I am aware of at least, maybe it has changed since last I checked, but uh, to get the, the push notification, so to say, on in the context of that personal app. Uh, because that is what you can get on mobile. That's what we can get with our mobile app, for example. It's what you would expect as a user. But that's not possible. And I think the second thing is is uh, we again have a very different, maybe a different approach to the Teams app. Because uh, So it's not on the store. You cannot find the Omnia app on the store. Because the customers don't want it to be called Omnia. They want it to be called the name of their solution. Oh, yeah. So what we, what we technically offer in Omnia is a Teams app generator. You know, it, it gives you the, the app package and stuff and it's prepared for single sign-on with Omni and everything. But we want the customers to be able to have their logo for their solution and their name. That's usually what they want. And there's no such support in the app model if we were on the store because you cannot change this once it's published. Which I understand why. It's the same for all app stores. You can't just change an app and its identity or title. That would be a bit strange too. But still, there's two examples, very specific ones. Yeah, you're, you're bringing up all the horrible uh, meetings we had at my last company and naming the internet in the first place. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. Can take I'm sure a lot everyone of time. can result to that. And you mentioned that you um, are helping uh, your customers build Teams apps with the Teams app generator. What do you use behind the scenes in, te- in terms of building Teams apps? I'm just curious. Yeah, so... From an Omnia perspective, uh, we basically surface different pages in Omnia. Like that is usually what we do. They can be uh, relevant both as a personal app. It's very common that this is either a newsfeed or it is the start page of the internet. I mean, the exact Viva Connections thing, I guess, although through our app. But we can also make more specialized apps. You know, If you have a customer who wants this app idea, maybe we have a nice uh, functionality in Omnia for finding people, then you can make an app for that. Uh, we can have also enhancing your teamwork experience by having, you know, like Omnia blocks technically running in the Omnia uh, infrastructure as we talked before, but surfaced through the Teams app in a channel because it makes sense. Interesting, good to know. So you are mainly working with the tab, like Canvas style apps, but also you have process uh, automation kind of development too to improve probably productivity and um, getting data from teams into teams and so on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are we're not still lacking, you know, other things like we don't have our own chatbots or, or uh, uh, you know, actionable cards and such yet. That is definitely something we're looking into because I think that is uh, definitely going to be the future. Um, I mean, you want to be able to act on your feed, for example, right away instead of looking for it. And I'll jump on my own grenade here and go back to the comment you made earlier on around we're using Graph and CSOM. Uh, for those that are listening that might not be aware of this, um, how come you have to use a Graph and CSOM in your product? What, what are the, some of the areas that require you to continue to use the, the SharePoint CSOM model and not all beyond Microsoft Graph? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think just working with, I know there are endpoints for like slash list slash item to, to write and update an item, but we rely on really everything you can do. So there's certain things missing. We have been leveraging IRM, like a, what's it called? Rights management, which I don't think is available in the graph. We are also, because of the SharePoint search for people search, for example, uh, we are still reliant on properties being in the SharePoint user profiles, right? Because we want to use the search to query people. And then we need to access the um, uh, the user profile 
see some namespace to be able to set everything. But last time I checked, you could not do that with the graph. A graph is great for Azure data, like personal data, but that's not what we want here. We read that too, of course, but uh, to make a nice search-based person roll-up, it's, uh, well, we need it on the user profiles too. So I guess that's two examples. We have to remember, of course, that uh, we started out with this product in, in 2018. And of course, the graph has improved a lot since then. So there are, there are definitely several season calls we could replace. I'm sure, mm -hmm. but uh, well, maybe we didn't get around to it. Uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's totally, that's absolutely totally fair. I appreciate the fact you could pull examples like that out of your head. Um, the the profile one is something that's been actively worked on now. Where you know, the, uh, to quote you back, you know, we we don't want to get the Azure personal information. We want to get the profile information out of there. You know the profile cards that's shown in in Microsoft three six five. And so there's work that's being done on the profile API and evolving that from what's there at the moment. And so for those that may or may not know, Victor Willen, who's also in Stockholm, I believe, uh, he works at Microsoft in that team. And uh, yeah, that's his his role. So he's local. You should go hit him up and- mm, I should go, should go ask him. Grill him about that. He was at MVP for a <laughs> yeah. long, long time and he switched over to our side. And so where can people go to try your products? Uh, you should check out our public website, which is omniaintranet.com. That will have uh, more information, lots of materials. You can watch videos, you can download white papers. There's many things you can do there. So that's a good place to start. Other than that, I also recommend checking out uh, the Clearbox report. It's uh, been changed now, right? So it's free for anyone to download. Now I'm making lots of advertising here for Clearbox, but I think it's good. <laughs> uh, they changed their model now, so it doesn't cost anything. It used to be something you had to buy, but now uh, the people who participate in it have to pay. An interesting model, but that's how it is. So it's free. You can read up on Omnia there to get a, not my opinion or our opinion, but like a hopefully less biased opinion. Then, as I said before, you can find us on the office store, but that is not the most up-to-date information. I think the public website is what I would um, definitely go for. Okay, noted. Thank you so much, Johan, for joining us for this episode. It was really awesome to host you with us. And we are looking forward to have you back when you have uh, something more to share in the future. And uh, Jeremy, it's always a pleasure to host these uh, podcasts together with you. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks very much, Johanna. Appreciate it. And again, thanks, Aisha, for joining us on these. It's epic. Yeah, and uh, thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 